God's kingdom is upside down is really a way of saying that all of the other kingdoms are actually upside down and God's kingdom is right side up. But that means that God's kingdom feels upside down all the time. Or it might mean that we're oriented towards other kingdoms and that God's kingdom feels upside down to us. Yes. Welcome to 242, a podcast of the Buffalo Vineyard Church where we discuss topics that are important to our lives as students of the way of King Jesus. Welcome to season two, episode one. I'm talking about the kingdom of God with Mark Harley. And this is a part of our Vineyard Value series. Mark and I define the kingdom of God, explore some biblical passages that explain and explore what the kingdom of God is all about. And then we also have a conversation about why why it matters. What's the importance of this term or this idea for our faith? And how do we know if we're actually living out the kingdom? I hope you enjoy. All right, Steve. We're talking about the kingdom of God. Yes, we are. What is the kingdom of God? <laughs> so oh. the way <laughs> go, <laughs> the way that we have defined it uh, for our church, the language that we've put down on paper is that the kingdom of God is about seeing the ways of heaven lived out here and now. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's a pretty good definition. I mean, maybe a more biblical um, phraseology would be the the words that Jesus uses in the, what we call the Lord's prayer, right? Where the disciples ask him, there's a couple of different versions of this, but in Luke 11 disciples ask him to teach them how to pray. And he teaches them the Lord's prayer. Right. Yeah. And, um, explicitly says, you know, to pray that God's will would, that his kingdom would come and his will would be done on earth the way it is in heaven. And, uh, I think that's a really, really good working definition of the kingdom. Um, you know, a kingdom is, like maybe, maybe the way we think about a kingdom today is something that has like political boundaries. It's like kind of like a country. Um, but another way of thinking about it is the rule and reign of, of a sovereign, right? It's yeah. the, it's where a king is in charge or where, you know, a monarch is in charge. And I think that's a, probably a more ancient way of thinking about a kingdom and would have been more familiar to the, the people living in Jesus's day. And that, yeah. uh, a kingdom is wherever the king is in charge. So wherever the king gets what the king wants, that's the king's kingdom. And so God's kingdom is wherever God gets what God wants. That's the kingdom of God. I'm glad you said that. It's, I, I do think I felt uh, that word kingdom is, uh, it's, it's like heavy, right? We at, our, at Buffalo <laughs> Vineyard, our mission, right? We talk about King Jesus a lot. And I remember mm-hmm. um, I had never heard that before, before coming here. It was just like King Jesus. It's like, so <laughs> like almost a like aggressive right? <laughs> it is actually aggressive that's right? a good it's word for king it king jesus mm. um and i think we talk about king jesus because we are trying to be kingdom people right like yes it, it, like our value for the kingdom of god is like identified in the way that we talk about jesus that way i think every week right um but yeah i think even i mean i don't, I don't know i think as a like I'm sitting here as an American too, right? Like we have like all these, we have, we have like our own baggage. We took shots at our King. Yeah. We, we don't like that word as Americans. I'm the King. And I don't mean to make this super political, but I mean, I I think that like that is, if I'm actually like just thinking about myself, I think I have this kind of like innate reaction to a word like King or kingdom. I think for maybe for other reasons too, but that's one of them. Yeah. Right. Of like the place that we live and, and where we, where we've grown up. So, well, and I, I think it gets at one of the, so one of the reasons to use uh, a phrase like King Jesus is um, because it points at the kingdom of God and it points at, um, I guess, I guess I would say two reasons. It, it points at that, like that aggressive nature of Jesus's claims on our life that um, we should be uncomfortable with because they are aggressive uh, and, and, any anybody's claims to ultimate authority ought to feel aggressive and feel threatening to us. And we ought to have to really struggle with how we want to respond to those claims of authority over our life. And if we don't respond to the claims of Christ on our life with some sense of like, Ooh, that feels aggressive. Then we probably haven't understood those claims clearly. Um, Mm. so I think in that sense, like that is part of the reason, I mean, you use the word aggressive. That's the first time I've heard that. So I don't know. I don't, I'll have to like (laughs) ponder that, that word, but everything is aggressive to me. (laughs) I know I'm, I know I'm aggressive. (laughs) Um, 
but but I think that 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 is definitely a part of why we were comfortable using that language is because I think it does clearly communicate that idea that you know God is sovereign. That means Mark Harley is not. Right. You are not sovereign over your life. You know, and you could say the same thing to me. Yes, yeah, Steve, yeah. you're not sovereign over your life, and right. um, that's a very aggressive reality to come to terms with. I think the other reason though is. Uh, you know, we use, we use the word Christ all the time. You know, it's in like, we're Christians, right? We're little Christ's and, um, or followers of Christ or however you want to say that. And the word Christ, if you were going to translate it into the best contemporary English word today, um, that means what the word Christ means, you would use the word King. Yeah. And so, you know, Jesus Christ, it's not his last name, it's his title. And that title was specifically the title, you know, Christ is Greek. Messiah would be Hebrew. Um, and that was, you know, I mean, it meant literally it means the anointed one, but that would be the title for the King. Right. And so if we're going to, if we're going to turn it into an English word, we would say King Jesus or Jesus, the King, that's what Jesus Christ or Christ Jesus means. And so I think that's another reason why we use it is because it's actually just a better, it's a better way of talking about Christ to say King. Hmm. So, okay. If you're if we're talking about the kingdom of God, Mm -hmm. right? So King Jesus and the kingdom of God, I think you should, uh, I think we need to define that a little bit better. Okay. What are we talking about? Like, what are we actually, it's, you know, you've said God's kingdom is where God gets what God wants. Yeah. Right. So what does that, what does that look like? Well, right. So if you say define it, I mean, I, I think that is a good working definition, but then when you say, what does that look like? Um, I think it literally looks like God getting what he wants in, in everything. And so, you know, there, which, I mean, it also kind of begs the question, wait, like, does, is God not getting what he wants or like how, what does that look like? Is God getting what he wants? Right, exactly. And so I think, you know, there are things right now that we could say, well, you know, so God is holding the stars in orbit and the planets orbiting around suns and like, you know, that like, so there's all sorts of things about the universe that God just makes happen and they're completely independent of human will or human desire. They just are, um, that are aspects of God's kingdom of God ordering the universe according to his design and his desire. Um, but then there's also, you know, scripture even says this, that, you know, the highest heavens belong to to God, but the earth he's given into the hands of men. And so God in accordance with his desire in accordance with his will has carved out a space and then kind of like vacated his authority from it directly and has put us in charge of it again under his authority. But he said, all right, so I'm going to give you guys this area to be in charge of. Um, and that's the story that is told in scripture, right? We, we completely bungle it and we're in the middle of that. <laughs> put it like, yeah, we're in the middle of that bungling and you know, God's fixing and oh. our, yeah. So, but that's the story of scripture is that God's like, Hey, I have a great idea. I'm going to put you human beings in charge of this planet. And we are like, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. And then we don't follow through and God is fixing things. And so there is a sense in which God and you know, anybody who's ever been a parent knows what it's like to both have your way and not have your way at the same time. It's like you say to your son, Hey, I want this room clean. It's up to you whether or not you clean this room. <laughs> so it's like, am I getting what I want or not what I want? If my son cleans his room, am I getting what I want or not what I want if he doesn't, you know? And right. I think that's what has happened with the earth and mm-hmm. with God's relationship to human beings is that, and the reason you would do that with your son is the same reason I think that God has done that with us, which is, you know, it's about developing people into something more than what they are. And I think God, you know, there's even, this is kind of a crazy thing, but Jesus talks about, there's a, a, a prophecy from the old Testament that, you know, that he then quotes and, and, and points at people and says, you know, it says in scripture that like you are gods, right? Like small G gods, that there's this sense in which God is actually wanting to develop us into the kinds of people that really the only person we've ever seen it, like that is Jesus. Like that's, that is what God wants us to be like is to be like Christ and to have that authority and to have that character and to have that um, that power, right. To, to do the things that Jesus did for the reasons that he did them. And that's actually the, the desired end. that's God's desired end for all of us. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, that's what scripture says that, you know, God is desiring to see us conform to the image of the son. Yeah. So that's, that's, that would be one way of talking about what God's kingdom looks like. But the, I, yeah, I guess I, I, 
So there's, there's like human character and development and power and authority, right? Which is one, I think that's one area where like God's kingdom gets kind of fleshed out. There's also like our relationships to each other, right? So not just us as individuals, but also the way we relate to each other. Um, there's our relationship to God, right? Obviously what God wants is he wants people to be in right relationship with himself. Um, I mean, that's, that was our original intended way of life that has been violated by sin and God is going about to redeem and to restore. And then also I think our, our relationship to the created world. Um, so, you know, we, we were created for work and worship relationship with God, but also a steward, a relationship of stewardship over the earth. And that too is something that God is wanting to redeem and restore. And so all of those things I think are, and you, you could get into the weeds and in, in any of those, you know, get into the details uh, about, well, what does it look like for God's kingdom, for God to get what he wants in my character? Mm-hmm. We could talk about that. What does it look like for God to get what he wants in my relationship to you or my relationship to my wife or to my next door neighbor or to... I don't know, like a political party or whatever, right? Like what is what does it look like for God to get what he wants in my relationship with other people? What does yeah. it look like for God to get what he wants in um, you know, my relationship with him? Like what what does that look like? How does God want me to feel about him or to think about him or, you know, respond to him? And then also like how does God want me to what does it look like for God to get what he wants in my relationship to the world around me? My relationship to food or to money right. or to you know, the the plants and animals that, that live near me or, yeah. When our community talks about the kingdom of God, and I think when the larger vineyard community, vineyard community of churches talks about the kingdom of God, we, we use this term, like the now and the not yet. Mm, yeah. Right. And that, that's kind of what I feel like you're talking about. Yes. Right? Where it's like, okay, we, we were, we were put like our, it's our creation story, right? Like we, our purpose was to like cultivate the earth and, and like, be good stewards and be artists and artisans and all sorts of things. Right. And we, we've been messing it up. And so there's this, you know, we have this promise now for restoration, which implies that there is this like future kingdom. Yeah. But that there's like, we also, we're at this weird place in history, right? Where we have the person of Christ. We have Jesus to look back on. We have the life of Jesus to look back on. And then this future promise of God's kingdom. And so like we're in that tension. That's that I feel like that tension of now and not yet. Yes. So what do you think about that? For sure. Well, I think, um, so one of the things that's important to say, you know, so this is within a broader conversation about our values as a church. And Mm -hmm. I think the kingdom of God as a value is in one sense, the most theological of our eight values. Um, so it's more about like what we believe or what we think or, you know, what, what kind of gives shape and order to, you know, how we see things. So it's most, oh, and, but also, so it's most theological, but it's also in in many ways, it's like the linchpin, it's the center. You, 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 earlier you were talking about like, yeah, we value eggs and we value flour and we value sugar, but really we value cake. You know (laughs) what I mean? And like, so we have these other seven values that are like the ingredients, but really like the big value, like our, our, if our values to come together to paint this picture of, you know, our vision for our church and for the future, like that is a vision of the kingdom of God. Yeah. And so the kingdom of God really is the center. And the reason for that is a, cause it just makes sense, but B it was actually the center of Jesus's life and teaching. Right. right. Um, you know, Jesus, all of his parables are parables of the kingdom, you know, in, in, um, several of the gospels, it records like the, the beginning of his public ministry starts with him going out and preaching literally the words repent for the kingdom of God is at hand or has come near. Right. Um, and he even says in, I think it's in Mark's gospel that, Hey, I've got to go preach. I've got to go preach the the message of the kingdom to these villages because that's why I came. Like I came to, and, and actually it's, it's both preaching and demonstrating. It's, you know, telling people about the kingdom, but then manifesting the kingdom in his life and ministry. That's, that's what Jesus was about. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. So, and so, okay. We still are living at this kind of in this sort of like precarious place in history though. Yes. Right. We're like, we're not living alongside Jesus and like, like as like his apostles were. Right? Mm-hmm. And so we're in this like strange in between time. Yeah. We right? are. And so what does that actually look like? You know, so we talk about the kingdom of God, right? Like yeah. there are these moments where 
it is both it is present now there are things that you could point out and say like yes this is an attribute of the kingdom of god right and we, like this is um that is sort of we could nitpick a little bit about more some of these other values we're talking about and tell stories and things like that but then there is also this like future promise of the restored right restored creation right that's, that's the end of the story yeah right that's or, our, or it's uh, the beginning of the story exactly right <laughs> It's a circle. Yeah. It's the end of the introduction. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, I, I guess what do we do with that? You know, we're sitting here in 2021 where it's about to be 2022 and mm-hmm. like we're in a particular place and it's so specific. And yeah. so I think that also, so this value for the kingdom of God in many ways is, is again, it's very theological. It also should be like, the one that really drives us back into scripture the most of, I think all of our values are derived from scripture and are about, but, but the other seven, I think in many ways are more about like live, like kind of living practically out, um, you know, our values in some way, shape or form. And I think this, um, so another way of talking about the kingdom of God would be valuing the story of scripture, but not just valuing it, but actually living in it. Right. And so to your point, like living in this time between times where, you know, we can look back and we can see the whole sweep of scripture that starts with God's creation and the the corruption that comes into it through sin, his creation of this covenant with the the, the people of Israel and, you know, Jesus coming into that at the this like kind of pivotal moment in history uh, and the birth of the church. And we live after all of that. And yet we still look forward then to the time when the kingdom is actually consummated completely. It's, it's in its fullness because mm. we, we haven't experienced that yet. Right. And so what we have is we have like a good chunk of the story has already been told and we know kind of like the final scene, what it looks like, but we live in this, this, you know, place in between a good chunk of the story and the final scene. And we don't exactly know what it's supposed to look like completely in its, in its, in its detail. Um, and there's a great metaphor that, um, N.T. Wright, uh, explores. I don't know if you and I have talked about this before. It's, I can't remember the name of the book. It's a small book. Um, shoot. I I wish I could remember it. Maybe maybe we can put it in the show notes if I, I'll look it up. But, uh, he, he talks about the authority of scripture. It's, I think that's actually even the title of the book is something about the authority of scripture. And he, he kind of, he begs the question, like, how can a story be authoritative, right? So if scripture for the most part is just one giant story, how is a story authoritative for your life? It's not instructions on how to make something or instructions on how to do something. You know, it's, it's a story. And, um, and he answers that question by using, using an analogy. He says, imagine if, um, you know, your great aunt dies and, uh, you know, leaves a bunch of junk in the attic that you have to go clean out and you're, dig- you're digging through stuff and you come across this manuscript that's really old and like, it just kind of catches your eye and you're thinking this might be worth something. So you start poking around at it and you notice that it's got what appears to be like the signature of William Shakespeare on it. And you're like, huh, I don't know. So you take it to some authorities and they're like, dude, this is gold, right? You found uh, an original manuscript of William Shakespeare. On top of that, it's a never before seen manuscript. This We've never seen this play before. And on top of that, this is easily his masterpiece. You have discovered a long lost William Shakespeare masterpiece never before seen in your great aunt's attic that nobody even knew existed. This thing is amazing, right? So of course everybody's like, well, let's stage this play, right? But here's the problem. Uh, rats ate the, the fifth act. Right. So you've got four acts of the best play ever created by Shakespeare. Uh, you want to stage it, but you're missing the fifth act. And he says, well, how do you stage that play? And he says, well, this is what you do. You get all of the best Shakespearean actors and all of the best Shakespearean, you know, experts. You lock them into a room with that play. They eat it and breathe it and live it for, you know, a couple of months. And then you stage the play and they, 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 they do the first four acts and then they improv the fifth, the fifth act. And they improv it everywhere they go. They improv it however they feel like improving it, right? Um, And that he says that's like a metaphor for how we should relate to scripture. And I would say that's how we should think about our relationship to the story of God's kingdom is that we have this story of how God has acted to accomplish his purposes throughout human history. And we know what the end is going to look like. But then we live in this time in between, you know, acts 
the end of act four, we've got one through four and we see how, you know, the final scene of act five, but we don't really know what act five is supposed to look like. So we improv it. We're like living out, knowing where we're headed and knowing where we've come from. We live that out. And so in that sense, it's like, okay, well, how do you do that? And then we start talking about things like discipleship or mysticism or, you know, justice ministry or some of our other values as a church. But it's that large, grand value for the story of God's interaction with the world that he made and loves where he is working to accomplish his purposes. That That's this big value for the kingdom. Mm. I don't know. Is that? Yeah. You got to yeah. lean on N.T. Wright when you want to talk about the kingdom. That's right. <laughs> Well, and then I think um, in scripture, we're like, have all these different examples of where Jesus defined it. Yes. Right. And also just all similar ways to that. Where With stories. Yeah. Often. Like I, the one I'm remembering right now is uh, how he talks about the kingdom of God is like um, yeast that was kneaded into like a big ball of dough. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. And it's just like slowly rising. And that now that I'm thinking about that, that is a really helpful way to think about the time that we're in. Right. Like, mm-hmm. The yeast is active. We're in a gas bubble. Yeah. The yeast is active <laughs> and like it's we're it's moving. Something's happening mm-hmm. very slowly. Yep. To but mix it, metaphors, the cake is in the oven. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> it's not there yet. Right. We will t- we will taste it and eat it. It's cake, but it's not good yet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but you can still like you can taste the sugar on the counter. You can lick that. You could you can get a taste for it. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Yeah. You can crunch the eggshells, right? So like yep. there's definitely, and that again, another um, N.T. Wright uh, metaphor is just about our relationship to the kingdom in the present and the kingdom that is to come and like how that works for us and what that means for the way that we live. It's been super helpful for me. So he talks about how, you know, you could use, he he uses several metaphors, but I'll just pick one. He talks about how a violin can be, so it's a, it's a tool, it's an instrument for making music, but it also can be a work of art unto itself, right? Mm-hmm. So like the music is the art, but then also, you know, there are violins that sell for millions of dollars because they themselves are also works of art. Um, and so he talks about how like our lives and our work in the present is kind of like building the violin, right? And so like there is real craftsmanship and real work that can go into that. But no no matter how beautiful that violin is, it's still, you know, you're looking at a $2 million violin. Now, you or I shouldn't pick up a $2 million violin and play it, but it is, it is crying out for like the best violinist on earth to pick it up and play a song for us to listen to. Right. And so like, that's the way our lives should be lived out in the present is as kind of like signposts pointing towards this future where, where Jesus will return and actually show us what the kingdom ultimately is supposed to look like completely mm. and fully. Hmm. Sometimes this, de- this kingdom is defined as upside down. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it, the kingdom is upside down. Well, so the reason, the reason it makes sense to talk about the upside down kingdom is because there isn't just one kingdom. And I think in one sense, you could talk about two kingdoms, right? There's the kingdom of God and there's the kingdom of darkness. But in another way, you could talk about the kingdom of God and then each of us having our own little kingdom. And um, God's kingdom is upside down is really a way of saying that all of the other kingdoms are actually upside down and God's kingdom is right side up. Hmm. But that means that God's kingdom feels upside down all the time. Or it might mean that we're oriented towards other kingdoms and that God's kingdom feels upside down to us. Yes. Absolutely. It's our perspective. Yeah. I mean, I think the the story in scripture that for me highlights that reality the most is um, in John 13. I mean, I, I use it quite a bit in my preaching where, you know, it says explicitly in the text that Jesus knew that he had all authority, right? So Jesus has all authority. The, the keys to the kingdom have been completely handed over to him. He could do whatever he wants. Right. And this is where like the upside down nature of God's kingdom and relationship to earthly kingdoms gets made manifest is when Jesus is fully ascendant to complete and total authority. What he does is he picks up a bowl and he picks up a towel and he begins to wash his disciples feet and to serve, to serve them, both literally serve them and also metaphorically serve them as an example for them as, as to what it looks like to fully enter into God's kingdom. And that's this like upside down picture of what a kingdom looks like, mm-hmm. of what authority looks like, of who Jesus is as the king. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, yeah. That, and so when I 
when I walk into Buffalo Vineyard Church back in 2017 and go, King Jesus, what? <laughs> yeah, right. That's also the upside down kingdom. Right. And it's yeah. only upside down because I'm oriented the wrong way. Yeah, right. Well, we all are. Yes. Right. I'm yeah. like, king, who's a king? Yeah. No, I'm the king. <laughs> I'm the king. <laughs> yeah. Who, who do you think you are? Don't Jesus. we all just want to be our own kings? Oh, yes. Kings and queens and... Yes. Where did... um. Where did you first hear about the kingdom of God? Where did you first hear about that language? So, I mean, I so I grew up in church. Um, I mean, I was probably went to church almost every Sunday my whole life and youth group most weeks. Um, so I definitely had heard the heard the word kingdom or heard the language of kingdom. It's in scripture, you know. So it's not like I never heard it, but I never really heard it talked about or preached about or defined or explained um, until I was an adult. Um, which is kind of weird when you think about it. And how was it talked about before? So like, how would it have it just, been brought up in other situations? I don't think it really was, you know, Maybe it was just, just like in scripture. Yeah. Right. Or You're reading scripture and there's the word kingdom and nobody really defines it. I mean, I would yeah. say the churches that I grew, so we went to the Catholic church for a little while, but then mostly we went to like what you would call kind of like evangelical churches. We went to some others too, but that was more of the way I was brought up. Um, and so really the emphasis wasn't like kingdom wasn't the word that got tossed around. You, the words that were used in church, the important words were Jesus, gospel, Christ, church, yeah. repentance, mm -hmm. sin. You know, those were the kinds of things that got talked about and defined, mm. not kingdom. Um, and uh, yeah, so going to, you know, jo joining the, the Reading Vineyard Church. So for the vineyard, um, the kingdom of God is really this, the, the theological center of the vineyard, um, which is unique. I think that that's changing, that there are lots of other denominations and Christian churches that are leaning a lot harder in that direction of like kingdom language in the last probably like 30 or 40 years. That's really started to happen. I think that's a really good thing for the church. Yeah. Um, but, uh, the vineyard is really like the first denomination that I'm aware of that was just kind of birthed out of a theology of the kingdom. And, um, I mean, that means particular things for vineyard people that I both agree with, but also would say like, it's not <laughs> like vineyard ways of talking about the kingdom aren't necessarily the only way of thinking or talking about the kingdom. Right. Um, what do you mean? Yeah. Be, be specific there. Well, so I think when, like when vineyard people talk about the kingdom, usually what they're talking about is like signs and wonders, miraculous kinds of things, healing, yeah. um, prophetic ministry, things like that. Mm -hmm. Also to a lesser degree, just kind of like tangible experiences with God's presence and worship. Yeah. Um, and I would say that's all kingdom, right? That's all God getting what God wants. That's God doing God's stuff. Right. Yeah. But I think, um, uh, and so, well, I should, I'll just, I'll keep telling the story. So I showed up at the Reading Vineyard and, um, had a ton of scripture in me. Um, you know, I don't know if I'd read the whole Bible before or not, but I'd read enough of it that like, I never came across anything in the Bible where I was like, Oh, I didn't know that was in there. Like I just had grown up with Bible, grown up with Christian theology. Um, but somehow had not been taught what the kingdom was and then started hearing people talking about the kingdom all the time. And definitely in kind of like a, well, we're going to pray and God's going to show up kind of ways. Um, yeah. and that experience of showing up to that church. And then also like another one that, and again, the pastor of the church, Mike, um, had given me a book, uh, by Dallas Willard called the divine conspiracy, which really is basically Dallas Willard's take on the kingdom of God. And, and more specifically, it's his analysis of the sermon on the Mount. Yeah. Um, that's, it's a thick book, but that's really what it is. And, um, so both hanging out in a church where they were talking about the kingdom of God and then reading that book where he's talking about it and he's talking, he's not a vineyard person. He's a like Southern Baptist uh, philosophy professor. Um, so the, the, the terms were kind of defined in, in, well, the basic definition was God getting what God wants, but yeah. then like what that looks like, if you're a vineyard person, it looked like people getting healed or people hearing from God. If you were Dallas Willard, that looked like um, God, the, God's transformation of individual human uh, character. Yeah. Like that's really what mm -hmm. it looked like is like people becoming capable of being obedient to God's commands in their lives because the spirit of God was transforming their character into the kind of person that could actually be obedient to scripture. Yeah. Um, and, and the process was the process of spiritual disciplines of creating space in our life for God's spirit to interact with us. Right. So that was more like Dallas Willard's take, but again, all of that through the language of the kingdom 
And then, you know, the, the vineyard, it was a lot more just about this like tangible experience of God showing up and doing things, speaking, giving direction, you know, interacting with people. Um, and, but all of that was like, again, about God getting what God wants in our lives. And right. for me, that was, uh, like a mind blowing experience. Um, mm. I think the way I described it to you and the way I often describe it is, you know, I grew up with all of the puzzle pieces on the table. Maybe I'd fit a few of them together and I'd never seen the picture. I'd never seen the box top before mm. and showing up at the Reading Vineyard and hearing people teach about the kingdom and then reading that book where Dallas Willard really kind of digs into it again from a different perspective, but teaches about the kingdom. It was like, Oh, that's, the picture that we're trying to make here, that's the top of the, pu- the, the, the puzzle box. That's what all these pieces fit together to look like. Mm. Um, and it was, yeah, it was, it was incredible. And I like the third thing I should point out is NT Wright, which I didn't start reading NT Wright until I was just about getting ready to leave Reading and come to Buffalo. But he, he talks about the kingdom probably much more in like almost like political terms, but like broad scale talking about things like the church, the whole church, um, justice, uh, you know, God reordering and making things right for the whole earth, you know, like a new creation, that kind of stuff, but also all through the lens of the kingdom. And so I think when you put those things together, the influence of the vineyard church, the vineyard movement, the influence of Dallas Willard and the influence of N.T. Wright, it was like, for the first time in my life, I actually understood how things like sin and salvation and repentance and prayer and scripture and obedience. And, you know, I, I, I realized how they all fit together. Um, yeah. I kind of want to hear you talk more about the, um, what the picture on the box top looked like. <laughs> like, what does that look like? Yeah. Well, I think it, so I would, I would talk about, I think, I think, yeah, yeah. I did talk about this already. But restored and redeemed relationship with God. Um, A renewed sense of the honor and dignity of who we are as individuals, being made holy and righteous and in God's image, Uh, restored and renewed and reconciled relationship with other human beings, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, No longer, you know, scripture talks about the dividing wall of hostility being torn down, right? That that barrier between whether that's actually specifically talking about racial barriers, um, but whether you're talking about races or you're talking about individuals um, and, you know, a a restored relationship to the earth, to the creation that we actually were meant for work, for meaningful work, for stewardship, for, you know, care, care for the the creation. Um, Yeah. You saw yourself as part of the story. Yeah. Right. Well, I probably saw myself as a part of a story before, but it was the wrong story. It wasn't the biblical story. It was Steve's story. It was, well, first it was Steve's story. Then it was the evangelical story. Neither of those is the biblical story, unfortunately. <laughs> Sorry if you're evangelical. And what is the evangelical story? Yeah, the evangelical story is similar to the kingdom story. What, what made you, what were you lacking that made you feel like hearing about the kingdom out of like... In, at the Reading Vineyard, in your case, what was it? What was that void? A like, reason for my life. A reason for doing the things that Scripture talks about, and yeah, I mean, I think because you were already a Christian, right? The evangelical story is a story about all of the stuff that happened in the past, and then all of the stuff that happens after I die. Mm-hmm. But there's not much reason for me to live, um, other than maybe like getting lots of people to believe the way that I believe. And I know that that's a parody of what the evangelical church has taught, yeah. but it's, it's actually not much of one, unfortunately. Sure. Yeah. Mm. Again, sorry for, I mean, I, I call myself an evangelical, not, not too loudly and not too often, but I do. Well, I think the, you know, we can't, we can't fully absolve ourselves out of that. <laughs> no. As much as you want to. Mm. Um, yeah. And I do, well, and you're not alone in having that, I think, that reaction to that. I mean, I think that that is a big part of the Vineyard Church's history. Yeah. Right? That is why I think we felt, um, I mean, what you were talking about earlier of when Vineyard people talk about the kingdom of God, typically it's in these kind of areas, right? Of like, yeah. you know, the Holy Spirit kind of filling up a room with people and powerful <laughs> things happening. Yeah. And, um, people being healed, things like that. Yep. Right? But, and 
so it makes sense that why as the vineyard movement was sort of like getting started why it had such a I think people that like in like your situation were responding to that void oh, yeah. of like what are we doing yep <laughs> yeah right i think um i remember hearing i was probably on youtube or something or reading about it but john wimber t- telling a story about um i guess when he was he had been saved early on and he, he like went to a church and said like hey so when do we get to like do all the stuff that's in the bible <laughs> that jesus did like and the guy's like we don't do any of that stuff we just (laughs) just talk we just talk about it and he's like what (laughs) like i left that life for what that doesn't make any sense yeah and for people who don't know john wimber was a a, um you know a hard partying musician who he was actually um i don't know exactly what his role was but he was he was like maybe like a manager or something for the righteous brothers and he played keyboard at some point too. Right. right. And was himself an accomplished musician. I mean, he was a professional musician who was like had a career, you know, like a real yeah. career as a musician. So with all, all that, I think he talked about that. that. Like I left that world for, for what exactly? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I, it's kind of like, I mean, he scratches that kind of what you're getting at. Yeah, you know? like, for sure. Well, and that's, what are we doing? I mean, John Wimber, you know, there, there's a lot more to the vineyard movement than John Wimber, and there's right. a lot more to the kingdom than John Wimber. But, um, you know, I've, I, I've, I'm not like a historian of his life, but I've read a couple of books that are about him, and I certainly have heard plenty of his teaching. And then also, you know, there's still a lot of, I mean, I think he died in like 96. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of pastors in the vineyard that were either friends with or influenced by significantly by him directly that I've, I've interacted with. So I've heard lots of John Wimber stories. Um, yeah, he's, he's a pretty cool dude. And like, I don't know, just there's a lot about John Wimber that I've really appreciated. Um, even just, you know, somebody who is incredibly open to the spirit in ways that are, um, what's the word I'm looking for? like just vulnerable. You know what I mean? Like there's, there's a sense in which we open ourselves up to God. That's really scary. And I feel like he just was like, all right, like I'm not, I'm not playing games. Like we're either following Jesus or we're not. And it's like, well, yeah, but that might cost you something. He's like, well, are you kidding me? <laughs> I gave up my whole life for this. Of course, I don't care what it costs me, you know? And I think that I appreciate that about him, but then also as much as he was really attuned to the spirit and open to just like stepping out in incredible faith and seeing wild stuff happen. Oftentimes people like that, they're just like really weird. Um, And I think John Wimber really, he pioneered in some way, shape or form what it means to be Pentecostal without being weird. Mm. (laughs) Again, sorry for all the Pentecostal folks who might be listening to this. I'm going to try and insult everybody. Steve is insulting yeah. every branch of Let's the church. Let's go after Catholics next. Do yeah. <laughs> you think you already tackled that? <laughs> I did, right? Yeah. But yeah. And I mean, that's also something that I really appreciated is the way that he, and and he modeled this for the vineyard. And so this really is kind of like a, a widespread vineyard ethos is mm. being open to the spirit moving genuinely, creating space for crazy weird stuff to happen. But also like that doesn't mean we have to be weird or that we have to like do weird things or it's like we, we don't have to manufacture a move of the spirit, you know, like we can pray for healing and expect that God will show up, but also we don't have to like pretend we got healed or fall down because you know, that somehow like, we don't have to do any of that. Yeah. We just pray and ask God to show up and then like respond when he does. And yeah. that's something that, you know, John Wimber was really intentional about kind of like removing emotionalism and hype from the experience of God's spirit and really wanted to just have it be about, about God, which yeah. to me, that's, that's right. Um, and that, I mean, I think some of that is just like the way God was at work in him and the way that God was at work in the movement. But also some of that gets back to what we're talking about here, this value for the kingdom of God that, you know, John Wimber was not, um, uh, that wasn't something that he learned from the church that he got saved in. That was something that he learned much later. He had already been a pastor and kind of went through a period of burnout and then was teaching at um, Fuller. Mm-hmm. And one of the co-instructors that he met, there was a guy named Eldon Ladd who had done a ton of work, um, intellectual and academic work on the kingdom. And that ended up really influencing John Wimber. So yeah. he was already a pastor when he started encountering Ladd's work uh, and then later ended up um 
founding the vineyard movement. And so, you know, you had a lot of these kind of like maybe charismatic experiences coupled with this teaching around the kingdom of God that there's other things too, but those two things and a few others that were really influential on John Wimber that ended up being influential on the vineyard movement. Just to stick in that historic vineyard camp for a second. Um, that is so like, there's this kind of desire I feel like to be kingdom people. Yeah. Right. Like, and I think that that's historically represented in the vineyard movement. And I think that's something that even though the vineyard movement has changed quite a bit, um, and continue, it's just always changing, right? It's one of the things that I think is beautiful about it is that there's all these different articulations and expressions of it. That was John Wimber's last kind of prophetic word to the movement as he, he, he died of cancer. Um, but he said, take the best and go like, don't, don't just like get stuck in the past. Don't. And if you know, if you know much about his life and some of his concerns, he was deeply interested in, um, building a movement that didn't get stuck in some sort of institutionalized, you know, just rigor and lose its, its life. And so again, he was like, look, don't, please don't replicate my ministry. That is like the dumbest idea ever. Like take the good stuff yeah. and then just go do whatever it is that God's doing. If there's one thing we would, if there is a word that we would use not to describe the vineyard movement, it would be institutional. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's funny because over the last 15 years, it's gotten way more institutionalized than it was. Which is hilarious. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's more yeah. of an inside joke, I think. Yeah. Uh, Anyway, so what I will say is I, I'm I'm like you and that I did not grow up in the vineyard movement. Yeah. I grew up in kind of a mishmash. I'm from the South, so I have a lot of that Southern Baptist in yeah. me. I have, um, I, I bounced around, right? A little bit of Presbyterian, a little bit of Nazarene, like mm. non-denom- other sorts of like non-denominational uh, expressions of evangelicalism. But a good dose, healthy dose of holiness. 100%, yeah. <laughs> and um yeah, I'm not, I'm, I don't mean to discount that by any means. No, man, um, I appreciate your holiness. <laughs> I, that's not, I, that was completely not right. sarcastic. At no, all. I know. Yeah. Um, but I will say the flip, I had a similar experience. I think I've had an experience um, coming to this church where it's just like, hmm, I remember showing up the first couple of weeks uh, with my wife, Amanda. And it's like, like what's going on here? Mm. <laughs> I've told the story before, right? Of like, there were just a like a mishmash of people on the worship team that I just were like, it just felt like nothing in the room, in that in that room of of House of Grace, right, the little church that we meet in. Uh, it's like it it's, it just felt very clear that the only thing in common that a lot of people had was like following Jesus together. Yeah, just like there's a whole huge socioeconomic shift here. There's a whole or representation here. There's like racial differences like some people are from our neighborhood some people are not and it was just like wow this is like what is this yeah um and a couple years back back in 2019 um along with matt and seth and patrick we went down to the the vineyard justice network conference in philadelphia we had just spent a day going all throughout philadelphia and just seeing meeting with a couple of different um Christian communities and leaders that were just dealing with some intense ministries, right? Just, yeah. we'd just seen some really hard things all day. And we gathered together at this small storefront church in uh, fish, just outside of Fishtown, I think in, in Northeast Philadelphia. And we just like, I remember the, I can't remember who was uh, the pastor was, but um, stood up and was just like, we've seen some hard things today. And, I'm not going to be able to like get up and tell you how to fix it, but we can ask God to just like show up and we can like the things that hurt us also like hurt God. Yeah. You know, the things that make us sad and, and weep also make like, that's God's response to what we're seeing too. Mm. And, and so like we just entered into this time of lament and it transitioned into this time of like, Hey, if there's people that like are struggling with things that they need healing from, we're going to do that, you know, just into what we would call ministry time. Yeah. Right. And just like, wow, I'd never seen anything like that before. Yeah. And it wasn't anything crazy, 
scary. It just was like, wow, here's a room of people that just is like receptive to God, receptive to the yeah. Holy Spirit, and is just like gonna just reach out and just like pray with people. Right. And it just felt like kind of what you're talking about, like, wow, there was this massive void where it's like, are we just gonna read about doing this? Or is this act is is this just like an ancient expression of Christianity and that doesn't matter now? Or it's like, no, here's kind of what it looked like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, you know, like, and yeah, it, you get a, you get kind of like this glimpse of like the kingdom of God now. Mm-hmm. Um, but so that's like that's one aspect of it. Yeah, and I think one of the things that I've also admired about our church so much is that um, that's not the whole picture. Mm-hmm. You know, like that's not all of God's kingdom. God also is in the small symbol things that happen right like just to go back to that reference of or the the way jesus explained the kingdom of yeast and a ball of dough right it's not that's not very charismatic (laughs) right so (laughs) so it's like the kingdom of god is charismatic but it's also ordinary yeah right so how do we i think that starts to get into some of the application components of like how do we like inspire people and how do we like look for the kingdom today like when we're done with this podcast and i'm walking home like yeah what are the implications yeah supposed to be no i think that's a that's a really important i mean that is the important question right is how do we do this um and you know as i've said before i think this the value for the kingdom is the most theological of the values and it's in so in some sense it's the one that's more about kind of like well what do we believe um and how does that shape the way that we see and act? Right. And so it's like, well, like, do we believe scripture? Do we believe the creeds? Do we believe in, you know, like the, the coming kingdom? Do we, do we believe in the work of Jesus on the cross? Like those kinds of things are, um, you know, and so, I mean, so even to, to a certain degree, like one of the ways that we put that into practice is it's like, we'll invite people to believe this story, right? Like that would actually be an incredibly practical way to live out a value for the kingdom of God is like, Invite people to encounter Jesus. Invite yeah. people to to step into a relationship with Jesus where they say, I, Mark Harley, will no longer be the king of my life and Jesus will be my king. You know what I mean? It's like, that'd be a pretty profound way to like apply that in our church yeah. is that we would, we would call each other and live out our own lives and call our neighbors into a relationship with the God who made everything Um and, and invite them to submit to his good authority that um, is being manifest in remaking us as individuals and yeah. remaking us as a community and remaking our world in, in ways that line up with his, his good intent. Um, but I think also, and this is where I can point towards the next seven podcast episodes, is like yep. each of those other values in one sense are the way in which we would actually value the kingdom, right? So for example, a value for justice ministry, you, you brought up um, the justice conference. So, you know, one of like talking about a value for justice ministry is talking about a value for going out and setting things right in the world, right? So finding these things that are wrong and setting them right. But that's also just a value for God's kingdom in one sense, right? Because that's what God wants to do and wants done. He So God wants to get what he wants in the ordering of society, in the way that schools work, in the way that prisons work, in the way that um, or, or in the way that they don't work, you know, in the way yeah. that our economy works or doesn't work in the way that, you know, people's family lives are put together or they aren't like God cares about that and wants to reorder all of that stuff. And he wants us to be a part of that. And so if we're going to be people who value the kingdom of God, we're going to be people who are practically at work in setting things right in the world around us. Right. So in, in doing justice. Um, but also, you know, we have a value for discipleship as a church, right? That's one of our stated values. And that also would be a way in which, you know, you could talk about valuing discipleship as like training each other and how to like be human beings who are following Jesus. But that's also just a value for the kingdom of God, right? Because God wants us to learn from him how to be human. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then, well, how do you, how do you, how do you put that into practice? Well, it's like, who are you teaching how to follow Jesus? You know, who are you teaching how to pray? Who are you learning from? Who are you learning how to, I don't know, be generous with your finances from, you know, who is inspiring you and teaching you and who are you inspiring and teaching and who are we in relationship with that is helping us, encouraging us to be, you know, living out the kingdom. And that's, that's, that's how we measure that or define that. I think practically. 
as with as with most things uh i think that <laughs> relate to the person that jesus was and is right it's a bit of a paradox mm. right so in one sense you want to go out and look for the kingdom yeah but you might not see it until you start doing some of the things that are part of the kingdom yeah i right? think so it's like what does god's kingdom look like and it's like well just start i don't know like go be generous somehow <laughs> and you might find it yeah right it's like that dude i had uh cuz i want to say like my i want to say like oh we need to we need to experience it first, mm-hmm. right? Like we've been kind of using this idea of a story, right? Well, like, oh, so, you, so we should know the story, right? It's like, we, we can learn the story, right? But you can read the story, right? But you know, there's the experiential sort of, what, what did, uh, what did you guys, you're talking about your kids uh, in school, expeditionary learning, is that what yeah. it's called? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The kingdom is kind of like that probably. It's expeditionary learning. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> We're going somewhere. Where are we going? You'll find out when we get there. Which is exactly what, how you said you shouldn't lead. <laughs> I know, and that's that. Yeah, well, that's that's a different conversation. <laughs> no, but I think you're 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 spot on though. So I mean, like the the disciples clearly did not have good theology when they were already following Jesus. Their theology was wrong, and yet they were still being used by God to go do stuff for the kingdom. And I think that's exactly right. And I, what I was going to share is, man, I had a really cool moment on Sunday. This last Sunday where I was just kind of like, I don't know, probably the right word is broken about something Mm. and was being a little like whiny to God about it. You know, like, God, this (laughs) stinks. Like, I don't like that. This is before church, not after. Um, and like walked into like God answering me on Sunday, you know, Mm. through another person. Right. I don't want to get into the details because I don't want to tell somebody else's story, but you know, here I am whining about God and he's like, oh, check, you're going to like this. You know what I mean? Like he was like preparing the answer to my complaint while I was complaining. And, um, I don't know, man, it's like, you don't get to experience that until you actually step out in faith and complain to God, you know, and you don't, you don't get to experience, you don't get to experience God's kingdom until you start, you know, sowing, sowing seed for the kingdom, being generous or sharing your faith or, being sacrificial or, or, you know, like taking a risk to share a need with somebody or pray for somebody who shared a need with you. Or it's like, all right. Yeah. So I think that's, you're totally right. Totally right. You can't steer a bike that's not being pedaled. Yeah. Right. Pedal the bike. Where are we going? (laughs) Pedal the bike. (laughs) Uh, I want to know where we're going before I pedal this bike. Yeah, yeah. it's not going to work for you. I think if I'm being like, that's, that's hard for me, right? Like I want, <laughs> I want so badly to wrap this up with like, and I'll go do this. Yeah. But I think that that is just, it's like, yeah, we, we can, we can learn the story, but we, we're also participants in that story too, right? Yes. We have this opportunity to participate in the story and you'll learn more about the story as you participate in it. You know, um, there's not a clear, it's like, it's the complex thing, but also the beautiful thing that there's not, it's uh, it's a very diverse kingdom of God that, mm-hmm. that we're a part of. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it's going to manifest itself in a lot of unique ways in like individual ways. Amen. <laughs> yes, Lord. I don't know how the best way to wrap that up is, but yeah. We'll just submit to the spirit of God doing whatever the spirit of God wants to do. <laughs> yeah, that'll, that'll work. No, this is perfect. So I, who did I just, Oh, I was talking with Brant um, about this. I don't even remember why, uh, but I, I'll never forget this moment. I don't remember the person, uh, but there was a woman who's leading a small group in our church back in, in Reading who she had a friend who was a missionary. I think, we're in the Middle East, I think, um, who just happened to be coming through Reading. And uh, again, I think it was Shelly. Shelly's like, hey, my friend's going to come and teach. We're like, all right, cool. And I don't remember anything that they taught or, you know, I don't remember anything that happened. I just remember the one specific thing where the this, it was a woman, this missionary had brought a stack of um, sheets of paper that were um, basically like contracts with God that we were supposed to sign but they were blank. 
right? And that was like the whole idea is that you're supposed to sign a contract with God. And you're like, well, wait a minute. Like, I can't sign this. There's nothing on it. And he's like, yeah, that's the whole point. (laughs) But like, what am I signing up for? He's like, whatever I want. (laughs) Whatever I want. Whatever I want. Whatever I want. Exactly. And um, man, that's a scary, beautiful, powerful picture of what it means to be people who are kingdom people. It's to say, God, you're sovereign. And I want, not only, not only do I want to be the kind of person who lives that way, but I trust, I trust you. You know, I trust that your desires are good and that, you know, I mean, imagine the kind of trust it would take to sign that kind of a contract with another person. Mm. You know, I mean, probably the closest thing that you or I have ever done like that is in marriage, you know, where it's like, you're essentially signing a blank contract with your spouse. Um, Yeah. And I mean, that was, I don't know, like my wedding day was a beautiful day. It was also scary. (laughs) It's like, I'm doing the most important thing I've ever done. That's how God's always worked though. Yeah. Right. Like that's, um, it's important I think to know. And maybe that's what the, maybe that's part of that missing piece for, I mean, you, you and I both have shared a little bit about how there was this missing component to our evangelical upbringing. Yeah. Right. And maybe autonomy is not completely taken out of that. Yeah. Right. Like, uh, you know, you go back to like the Old Testament, right? The suzerain vassal treaty type of covenant that God has established yeah. with the nation of Israel, right? And it's like, yeah. And I mean, he was like, you're using that same sort of political language of that time, right? Of yeah. like, yeah, you see how these other people have like these contracts where they're lording over people? That's what I want you to do. But even <laughs> more intense (laughs) and they're like what (laughs) yeah it hasn't really changed Mm -mm. which is interesting yeah yeah i don't know i don't know how to wrap this one up steve (laughs) i I think we just pull a pull the eject um pull the (laughs) (laughs) yep uh well, so what I what I would say so this is this is uh episode one of a eight week season is um you know, if you're listening to this and you're like, all right, I want to talk about this more, man, do it. Right. So one, one thing you could do is you could certainly, um, give some feedback to us about this. Um, Mark, maybe you can put something in the show notes for the best way that people could, could respond to, um, to respond to this episode. But also, uh, if you have listened to this and there's, you know, maybe somebody else, you know, that's listened to it, you guys could have a conversation with each other, right. Get together, whether it's, with a friend or, you know, people in a small group or whatever. And certainly Mark or I would be happy to have coffee and conversation to talk with you about the kingdom of God. That's kind of like our job description. So, that's right. <laughs> and I think, uh, you know, one thing, I think it's hard to think about how to land this plane right now because it, the, the kingdom of God is going to be kind of what we talk about for the next eight weeks. For the next mm, seven weeks really. I mean, if we're honest, we'll be talking about it longer than <laughs> right. But specifically, it's like all these different values of like, it look, the kingdom of God looks like this through this or yeah. this through this. And yeah, you're right. We should be talking about it in perpetuity. Maybe that's why it's hard to wrap it up in an hour. You shouldn't. (laughs) Should we wrap it up? Nope. Don't land the plane. Just keep flying. All right, man. Cool. (laughs) That's where we're going to land the plane. That sounds good. 242 is a podcast from Buffalo Vineyard Church in Buffalo, New York. Our mission is to teach people the way of King Jesus by regularly encountering God, training each other in the faith, and effectively serving our neighbors. This podcast is just one of the many ways we work to realize this. If you'd like to learn more about who we are or get in touch, visit us at buffalovineyard.org. Our theme music is Face to Face from Vineyard Worship. Thank you for listening.